Welcome back to Call and Shots, everyone. This is Seth Partnow, back from my Las Vegas uh, road trip, um, which was awesome, except for the part where I got COVID. Um, I am joined today by, since we're in the time of summer hoops, uh, following up on Summer League, uh, joined by the CEO and uh, uh, founder of the basketball tournament, TBT, uh, Jonathan Mugar. Uh, John, thanks for, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Seth. Uh, I, w- I was saying before we, we went live here that uh, that we we've spoken briefly previously when you introduced me to to Nick Elam, um, who the creator of the Elam ending, of course, uh, and uh, that as one of the um, sort of unique features of TBT. But I wanted to to go back a little earlier and just kind of you know talk a little bit about how you know the idea came about and how it's progressed to where it is today. Yeah, uh, it started as a text conversation amongst friends. Me and Dan Friel, who is a co-founder, have been friends since seventh grade. And it was back in 2011. We were texting back and forth on a Sunday afternoon when we were both off of work. I was in LA. He was in Louisiana at the time. Um, And the idea that we were texting about is, what do you think would happen if you put $50 million on the table and invited anybody in the world to play for it in a basketball event. Would it be enough for LeBron to come out and play? Would the Lakers play? Would Duke play? Would guys from the YMCA? No one's ever heard of before be able to compete. And we started riffing on that idea, and it sort of became an obsession. And I think what was behind it is that Dan and I had seen pro sports, the business of pro sports, really taking off. And the more that all those finances are injected into pro sports, the less from our experience as a fan, it really became about high stakes intensity. And there's something about that format of just kind of blowing everything up and, and cutting through all of that that appealed to us. How much of it was, uh, was there any part of it that was, I wish they would. I wish they would play harder in the All Star game or something like that. It was that was a huge part of it. I think that was like ninety nine percent of it. I mean, I, I grew up a huge Celtics fan with like Bird and Parrish and McHale in the Garden. Um, and you know, as a kid, you look at that and and love it. And it seems like they had maximum intensity. Um, but the more you see sports, I think, or at least in my case, after graduating from college, the more I started seeing it as a business, and the more that, you know, contracts took took center stage, um, the more that CBA negotiations, you know, um, took center stage, and, and, you know, free agency is as part of the narrative now as the game itself, and I think that was a, a bit of a frustration for us, and and we just really wanted to turn the attention on the game and trust that the game is really all you need as long as you put it on in its most entertaining format. And that, that's really why we landed on that high-stakes, open-to-all model. So, open-to-all, this, this is an interesting question I wanted to, to, um, to, not to bounce around a little bit, but it's a 64-team tournament. Um, how, how do you handle, like, you know, oh, a million dollars if we win, well, I'll play. Um, how do you keep it from being, like, you know, FA Cup style with thousands and thousands of the smallest clubs in the in the world, you know, getting their chip in a chair to just get beat down by, you know, some of these college alum teams or something. We've learned a lot over the years and players and teams have learned a lot over the years as far as what it takes to compete. 
we had originally thought when we were coming up with this concept that thousands of teams would apply every year, but that, that proved itself not to be true. Uh, in that first year, we launched a 32-team, half-a-million-dollar winner-take-all event, and at 8.30 in the morning was our first game. And that game featured Hakeem Warwick, Marshall Henderson, who just graduated from Ole Miss at the time. Yeah. And so that... The land shark. <laughs> yeah. He, he came out with maybe 28 seconds left until the tip-off as the fifth player of that team uh, at 8.30 in the morning in the middle of a small gym in Philly. And so once we saw that, we realized that the caliber of play is going to be way, way, way higher than we anticipated for you know, a multi-year NBA vet like Akeem Warwick to play and, and Marshall. And so that really narrowed down the, the potential pool of teams that felt like they had a chance to win the event. And so we've settled in around 100, 150-ish teams that, that feel like they can assemble the players and assemble the organization enough to come out and compete for our prize. And having seen us play out now for several years, um, people know what it takes to win, and it's a really, really hard event to win. And it's, I mean, it's essentially, I mean, there are, you know, I, I off the top of my head, I think of, of uh, maybe Jamil Wilson as one, but uh, like, a, like it's a high enough level of play that it is now, it's an event that is scouted by NBA teams. Yeah, it, it, it is. And we have, I think, over 70 players with NBA experience this year. We have our first NBA draft eligible team in team overtime with the Thompson Twins had played. And, you know, they, they played one game in Omaha, and they're projected to go as high as, you know, top five, each of them. So the caliber of play is just it's incredible. Like the, the Marquette alumni team, which you alluded to, which Jamil plays tonight, and I think they have six or seven guys with NBA experience on it, and that's, that's really common now. So you, you, you talked about the organization, um, like, are, are these almost like, like, like mini teams that have, like, year-round operations in terms of, like, assembling their team and, and, and figuring out who actually gets to be on the, 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 the roster at the tournaments? I mean, are teams holding track? Like, I'm, I'm just fascinated by how, you know, if you've, if you've got the Syracuse alum, alum team, like, who, who's like, no, sorry, you're not good enough to, to show up? <laughs> how does that all work? Yeah, these teams are really professionalizing, and that's happened naturally. I mean, so much of this is an experiment. When you just throw a massive amount of money on the table in a format that's as open as ours, there's no way to project what happens. But what we're seeing now, we're in year nine now, what we're seeing is teams are, are very, you know, there's always one figurehead that's called a general manager, and that person is thinking about the, this team every single day of the year, um, no matter what, what the calendar is. And then that person's reaching out to potential boosters to help fund the team. They're reaching out to potential sponsors to help fund the team. And then, of course, they're reaching out to players. And the players reach out to other players. And then fans even get involved in recruiting as well uh, for, for teams that are repeat teams. So they, they are professionalizing on their own uh, without our help. And that's just the way that this format has driven it. So this is almost, you know, it often... Um like the play, almost the player-owned league is is some is an idea that sort of gets gets floated around a little bit, and in some ways that seems like what almost what uh, what has grown up here by happenstance. Yeah, and I would say it's an owner-owned league, which is a really a strange comment and something I've never heard or said before. But it's really all about that figurehead who wants to put a team in who doesn't have you know a net worth of a hundred million, a billion dollars to to buy into an NBA team. This is their opportunity 
to create their own team, to go through the experience of being a team owner. It's almost like you know, promotion relegation in soccer over in Europe. You know, we obviously don't have that in America because it's, it, it's, there's an anti-business component to it and it suppresses franchise values when you do that. But this is an opportunity to play into an event that ends up on the same stage on ESPN and a worldwide stage because of our time of year uh, as these other major sports properties. So it's like our own version of, of promotion relegation in a way. So you, you mentioned like the, the, the outlay, like what, you know, I, I imagine you don't, you're not privy to sort of the finances of, of the various teams, but like what does it cost to like, you know, to, to be a competitive GBT team? I think anywhere from you know five thousand. A lot of it comes down to travel costs. Sure. Um, and some some teams will will you know pay players or give them some benefit or feed them or do a training camp. So it can run I think on the minimum of five thousand. You know we, we've heard all the way as high as a hundred thousand um, to to get a team there, just depending on what they want to put into it. And and but some of that is is there's some sponsorship and and, and stuff like that. So it's not just straight out of pocket. Yep, and we give them assets to sell as well. So we give them, you know, some real estate on the on the jersey on the shorts this year for the first time. We'll give them a bench signage and, and things like that to sell. I mean, it, I mean, it, it, in a way that's that that's um, it's probably good, but in a way that that's moving a little bit away from from winner take all, and it's just there, there's some money for everybody if they if they have the hustle, and then winner takes. Huge amount. Yeah, it's funny, and you can't you can't cheat. Despite all of that and the resources, like you you can't cheat who actually wins games. You know, we, we call it appearance fee basketball at TBT. You know, the the people who are obviously not natural TBT players. The natural TBT player is a guy or somebody who who went to a small school. They have a chip on their shoulder. They grew late. They weren't in the top hundred. They weren't a highly touted recruit. They didn't go to a huge, big conference team. You know, the, nat- the natural TBT player is somebody who's just a hard-nosed competitor who loves every second of playing in this format. Some of those guys did go to, to big schools. Some of them were top 100. Some were McDonald's All-American. But for the most part, you know, th- this format just does not care how you got here. Like from the second we tip off on round one, you, know, you can't hide anymore. Is, have you found that that sort of the, the players kind of from the sort of the, the the more blue blood route like show up and are and I don't want to say get exposed but um, maybe maybe aren't ready for no this this one game really means everything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we were guilty of that too. We would always in the early days would reach for a higher profile team or higher profile player, and you know we we only experienced that so many times. You just can't. We're, we can't put on appearance to be basketball here, and it doesn't work for them. It doesn't work for us. Um, so, you know, on occasion, there are people who come from a really high pedigree you know, who did play in the NBA, for example, like a Joe Johnson, who will come out on his own and play because he just loves competing and loves basketball. Um, but that is more the exception than the rule, and it's, it's really hard to find players like that. But I guess there's, there's also, I mean, there's sort of a natural, like, a million dollars is a lot of money, but a million dollars spread over eight, ten, twelve players is is still a good chunk of change. But it's it's maybe not the the motivator for the for like a you know a guy who's you know gotten you know even mid level or higher contracts in in the NBA. 
a lot of times the motivator is playing with people they want to play with for the first sure. time in their lives. And it's like playing, it's every team is a family. And like the journey they go on for TBT, it's unlike anything. They run into each other overseas in the off season. They talk about what teams they're going to play. You know, they're, they're on text threads all year round talking about what players they want to go out and recruit together. It's like it's their opportunity to run a team, to build a team, and play who they, with who they love. And it's like, there's, unlike anywhere else in sports, can you, can you do that? So are, are there teams that, that sort of have this, like, figured out the best? And those are, like, you know, it's, it's maybe too early in the lifespan of this for there to be a dynasty. But it does, you know, from, from an outside observer, it does seem like you end up seeing a lot of the same teams in the late stages of the tournament. Year after yeah, year. I think we have about, I want to say about 50% of our teams every year repeat. And, you know, there's a, there's a steep learning curve to coming in here for the first time. And we always tell teams when they show up for the first time, don't expect too much. You're going to go out there and, and get punched in the mouth in the first game. No matter who you are, just be ready for it. And you're going you're gonna to have a lot of people who said no to you to play on this team coming at you after the game saying they want to play with you next year. And that's just all part of the life cycle. I mean, early on with TBT, we were fortunate. We had, we had a four-year champion starting in our second year, overseas elite. They they ripped off 29 straight wins, which is it's just incredible. It was amazing to witness, but without any precedent of what TBT is, I don't think it was very it's very underappreciated. But now that we have nine years of history, the fact that a team won 29 straight games and four straight championships, it's amazing. So that was like a great as a great model for people to look at and build their teams around, and that's what teams started to learn is how to do it. Remind me, like who, like who the sort of the featured players on 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 that squad were? DJ Kennedy, DeAndre Kane, Eric McCollum, and Kyle Fogg. I would say were the were their their mainstay players. Uh, John Dre Jefferson as well. And they, what they did, you know, Kyle went to Arizona. He was a player there. Uh, Eric went to a small school, Goshen, I think, in in, uh, in Ohio. DJ went to St. John's. Um, and Kane was friends with DJs from growing up in, in Pittsburgh. And the thing that set them apart was they had like three gears of anger and intensity and just played smart. I don't think they practiced once in four years. That's not an exaggeration. But they literally did not care who started and who scored. They were just there to win, which is like, it's amazing to see. And, and maybe DeAndre, you know, and, and, uh, and DJ didn't have a reputation of being those types of players when they came into TBT, but they were exposed for being the very hard-nosed, tough competitor in our format. It was pretty awesome to witness. So, um, you know, I, I you know I mentioned Jamil Wilson earlier, someone who maybe not like completely on the back of, but certainly didn't hurt him uh, in terms of, of of getting getting a look in the NBA. Do you, is it now sort of something that's becoming a, a showcase for players who are? Whether it's trying to get in the NBA or trying to sort of, you know, the the, the different levels of, of play and, and, and compensation in Europe are, you know, the, 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 there are stepping stones there too. Is it has it become sort of a a way for players to showcase themselves that way, or is it still is it much more the thing in it in and of itself? Uh, yeah, undoubtedly, we we counted I think over sixty players last year who attributed their signing to being in TBT. Um, and that, that, those are overseas, guys who signed overseas, guys who signed training camp deal, guys who signed a two-way, guys who got bumped up into the NBA or whatever. Um, it's, it's a massive platform for exposure. 
and we have our, our deal with ESPN to thank for that. So you talk about like the how much is a million dollars a draw? Uh, now a million dollars is a draw, yes, but exposure is also a huge draw for a lot of players. Uh, for the players who are here just for exposure, though, you usually see them wiped out in the in the early rounds. Just there's there's that uh, you know the the G League is sometimes tough to to because everyone's playing to not be in the G League anymore. And, yeah. and sort of, and so if you're playing in the tournament to you know not have to play in the tournament anymore, it's probably it's probably not super conducive to to winning the tournament. Exactly. And so, well, some of our players are playing to get into the G League too. Um, yeah. You know, we had like Eric Demers is a, a Division three player, uh, played a small school around Boston, uh, Gordon, and he got a Division three or a uh, G League contract coming out of TBT last year. So let me ask about like sort of the 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 place of summer basketball in in kind of the professional basketball world. Um, I think that that like too often certainly American fans sort of think that get get almost led to believe the NBA or start to believe the NBA is the only kind of real basketball as opposed to just sort of one form of basketball. Like how would you describe you know if, if there are stylistic differences? on the floor and sort of, you know, different things that are, are entertaining about, you know, this, this format versus, you know, uh, the, the, the NBA, the NBA style and level of play. I think the best illustration that I can think of is the, the all-star game in 2019 in Chicago, which was the first year that Chris Paul had the NBA implement the Elam ending in their format. It was a run-of-the-mill all-star game for the first three quarters. You know, there's no defense, and players were dunking and all that stuff. When the fourth quarter hit and they set a target score, you know, a TBT game broke out. And, like, that's the best definition that I have for a basketball fan is what is TBT basketball? It's what you saw in the fourth quarter of an all-star game, which is probably the hardest place to insert intensity. You know, the result of that was Kyle Lowry taking three charges in the fourth <laughs> quarter of an NBA and, but, and losing the game trying to take it. Didn't he, didn't he basically lose the game by trying to draw an, uh, an off-ball foul? And, and, and <laughs> I think so. And, yeah, and then he got yeah. caught out of position. Yeah. yeah, and then Anthony Davis had to, had to make a free throw, and he missed the first one, if I remember. Yep. Was, yeah. And then it, Chris Paul was jarring at teammates. Guys were yelling at the ref. I mean, it was it, there were blocks being made. You know, I think LeBron and, and Giannis were... Trying to or pinning each other at one point, it was just the most incredible evolution within a single game, and I in that fourth quarter is TBT basketball. That's how so, we define it. How like how much like if if you were to describe like your idealized and and uh, uh, a frequent listener Charlie's got a question. We'll get to him in a second. Um, uh, if like the best pickup game you ever saw. How much? How much is, is is that sort of close to your your idealized version of of what TBT basketball is? I would say we pick up. Yeah, it's close to that. I mean, it, it's, it's like maybe I know, should so maybe I should rephrase because I think that like when people say pick up basketball, they're thinking of you like you show up at the Y and whoever whoever's there you play. But anyone who's ever played in like high level pickup runs, like. It's much more structured than than 
you know, because everyone kind of sort of knows how to play. So even if like you don't have an offense, people are running offense. Yeah, it's. It, I would say it's game sevens. That's okay. the style of our. Of it's it's a it's a it's a game where both teams walk in and one of them is not continuing their season. And I used to count the NBA schedule. I think they have thirteen hundred games, and then in in certain years they only had six games where both teams faced elimination. And like, there's just an energy as a fan I experienced growing up going to a game seven. Uh, and, and March Madness has that same energy as well. So I think that that's the best characterization of, of what we're trying to do. Sure. Uh, I want to get back to, to that. But first, uh, Charlie, you've been uh, waiting patiently. And he was uh, messaging me uh, wondering when we were going to be able to get started. So he's uh, been patient as, long as we have. So, Charlie, how's it going today? Good. Finally, I'm glad you guys finally uh, overcame and, and you're here talking TBT. I was... Um, actually at Rucker Center Court a few weeks back, and genuinely like one of the most fun basketball experiences in my life. It was just the ambiance, the rain, it cooled things down, beautiful to be outside. There was dudes on the mic roasting, you know, guys' haircuts. Um, so I got one for you, John, specific to that setup, and then one for Seth. John, I'm right behind the scores table, and there's this fella. I'm watching him the whole game. He's just kind of running the show with an iron fist. He's telling players on the bench to zip it. He's talking coaches off the ledge from getting technicals. At one point, like the scoreboard broke, and he's immediately on top of it. I gotta know who who was that man? What was his job? And like, how does he command so much authority? He had like a David Stern kind of uh, Joey Crawford vibe to him. Yeah, it's a really, very really astute observation. His name's Rob Kennedy. He is the head of all of our basketball operations. He runs a company called Hoop Group, which is a really highly regarded AAU outfit out of. Neptune, New Jersey, and very early on when we were in the conceptual stages of TBT, we knew that this was going to be an electrifying format, hard to control, uh, especially rolling it out without anyone ever seeing it before. So I drove six hours after hearing about him by reputation from Boston down to New Jersey to meet with him for 30 minutes. You know, he he almost blew me off in the meeting. I walked in with a PowerPoint deck saying what I wanted to do. He thought it was crazy. I drove back six hours in the same day, uh, eventually landed him, and he's been an absolutely essential member of everything that we do, from overseeing officiating to all the game rules to keeping all the teams in check. Um, good to know. And then, Seth, um, getting back to what you're talking about, the G League, about guys not wanting to be there some, you know, and playing to get called up as opposed to playing to win, I'm curious what it would look like from a development standpoint if um, – you know, there was more of a TBT flavor in the G League. Guys played to win. Maybe there was a, you know, a 10K per W type situation. Um, I Because I, I just feel like the, the tension that comes with these TBT games would be beneficial to to young guys. And I'm wondering what you think about that. I think that's a, that's a really interesting idea. I've, I've, I've been an advocate of, of uh, having, like, things like the Elam ending in, in the G League. Just A, just to try it out, and B, it's sort of to, to you know, to, to bring some, some intensity to the end of, end of some of these games. Um, I think that's a really, that's a really interesting way, uh, idea. Um, this is actually something I've uh, it's been, you know, talking about a lot recently. You know, if, I don't know if you saw that, uh, that Sharif Cooper got waived by the, the, uh, the Hawks yesterday. Um, the Bucks uh, just traded the, like the the returning rights to Jalen Lequeux 
a way for for uh, for the youngest Anacumbo brother. Um, and th- those those are things that sort of these are players who have possible NBA talent, but the G League structure isn't is not necessarily con- really conducive to being a true development league in that way. And so I'm wondering, like that's a, that's an interesting way of, of thinking it. If if you actually like aligned incentives for playing good basketball in such a way where the reward is like a little more direct rather than if I get buckets tonight, I'm going to get a contract. Um, you know, if I, if we win tonight, we, we all, we all get paid more. Um, the, maybe that's a better way of aligning incentives to kind of lead to, you know, better directed kind of development energy, which was sort of the, the idea of the G league in the first place. I mean, it was the D league. It was the developmental league. So I don't know. I think that's a really good idea, and I would have to think more about that. Um, I, I have, like, bouncing off of his first question, I, w- I wanted to ask you, but, like, the officiating has got to be a, a, a huge challenge, uh, you know, it, it just both because, like, who is available to you as referees, and then also, um, you know, we see this in the playoffs every year, like the, the, um, like the Heat Celtics series this year was sort of, ungovernable because both teams were playing so physical and so floppy that it it's it sort of and i think that with the the intensity that that the single form format brings there there has to be a little of that that creeps into tbt yeah there is we and we are fortunate with our time of year and with rob kennedy who we talked about and our our head official brian o'connell that we get the best uh, of the best college referees um and you'll see these people working March Madness and Final Four every year, and then they're out with TBT. So they, they know how to ref in that inten- high-intensity environment. Uh, we now have you know nine years of history with them, so they know how to call a TBT game, and we're, you know, that was one of the big unknowns when we rolled out this concept, but we're thankful to have access to those types of people. Um, is, like, how has the tension been in just in terms of, you know, uh, if you want to call it keeping teams in check, like has there ever been a point where it seems like this is this is maybe getting a little out of control, or has it? Have you been fortunate enough to not really have that yet? We have had our moments. Um, we're, we're certainly over the years where we have felt that happening. What we talked about earlier, where we're now, I think we have 27 games on TV this year. We had over 30 last year. Um, our best defense is often reminding players they're on TV in the moment. And these people are playing for, to showcase themselves, uh, in many cases, to, to in front of their family and, uh, and friends. They're playing in the States. So no one wants to leave any of our games with a bad reputation. Um, so it gets rather heated. But you know, Rob Kennedy and his team have really figured out how to, to control players and talk to them uh, and bring them, pull them back in out of their emotional state. So I have to, you know, just based on, on, you know, talking about how how the idea started, um, I, would you agree that that it's that it's sort of succeeded past what you could have reasonably accepted or expected to this point? Yeah, I don't. I guess so. I mean, I don't. I never <laughs> like talking about stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I just. Uh, but I. It's sometimes all we'll allow ourselves. You know, Dan and I, or in our team. We have a very a small team of uh, 10 people who have been very loyal and awesome. Um, can step back and appreciate what we've done. Uh, there are certain moments like that that happen, like getting and ending into an all-star game. Um, 
and and then you know and any number of our games that are incredible games on TV where we obviously get immediate feedback on social media. It's always fun to see that. Uh, so I think from that standpoint, I guess it would be a success. But we're we're always talking about things that we want to tweak, and we're constantly constantly doing that. So we have a list now of things we want to address for next year, and so on. So let me ask you both about that list and and you know the the kind of the specific tweaks but also like broader picture like what's what is what is what does the future hold i would say a big thing for i mean we knew we had the caliber of play from that 8:30 in the morning first day in 2014 uh that was never a question so it became how do you get people to care about this and like how can you get how can you give fans a rooting interest and that's sort of how we started leaning really heavily into that alumni model. Uh, and then that took us you know, on campus over the years to different environments. And then that took us to a place where you tune in last night and in Wichita State, there are thousands of people screaming and yelling in the middle of the summer for an alumni team that didn't even exist and the idea didn't even exist five or six years ago. Um, so that, that's an example of something that we just kept moving towards. And I think... What we want to do next is really focus on TBT as an event. The same way people will turn into March Madness, even if it's Hofstra against Siena in the round of 16, they're not tuning in for those teams specifically. They're tuning into the to the product. And that's something that we want to continue to drive, is that TBT basketball is a product. It's unique, and it's worth tuning in for, despite who's playing. Is that, I mean, I imagine that, that you know, going to places like Rucker, Rucker Park is, is, is sort of, in service to that it is and i think just experimenting i think we have a great reputation for trend setting for what we did with the elam ending uh for what we did at rucker park and you know our even our post-game bracket celebration which is now in march madness and college football and is using it in their ncaa championship like we just we have a good track record of taking risks we're not afraid of taking risks and and i think that fans see that um, that that sort of being a trendsetter that that leads me to sort of one of the things I definitely wanted to talk to you about is um, our our kind of like professional leagues are are they in touch with you about like hey how'd you make this work and there's obviously there's a big you know there, there's a big elephant in, in in the room there in terms of the NBA you know circling around some kind of tournament format yeah and I've been I've been friendly over the years with people in many different places within the NBA, whether it's an owner, players, uh, you know, people at the NBA itself. Um, I think the best example of that was 2020 when I think we, when COVID, you know, nothing, it's incredible to think back on, but for three and a half months yeah. there were no sports being played. And we came out on July 4 and played four games on TV to start off our tournament. And we were the first ones back on TV doing that, first ones to crown a champion. I think the NWSL did something a few weeks before, but I'm not sure if it made it to TV. Um, and from there, you know, we got calls from USA Basketball, Big East Conference, uh, a lot of people like that, you know, asking how did we do it, what was our plan. Um, so we, we in, in, you know, down to, to basketball rules and things like that, we'll, we will share things on occasion uh, w with people who do reach out, but, you know, I wouldn't say there's any any direct partnership, but I do think we have a good reputation at this point. So if you, I mean, perhaps I'm asking you to give your, your competition advice, uh, but like, 
you know, if you had if you had advice to, to how to make uh, like an in season tournament a thing that matters in the NBA, like what would you suggest? Or is that something you'd rather keep to yourself just because, you know, you've got the secret sauce and as long as you have it and they don't, that's good for you? Uh, I would, first of all, put the Elam ending in all those games. Um, this is th- these are things I've shared with them, but sure. um, I, would, I would put a different game ball out there. I would put different uniforms on it. I would just give it maybe even different timing. I would, I would just change those games and the identity of those games as much as possible. And we, you know, we've been tinkering with our format for nine years and have landed on a really entertaining form of the product. So, in that, you know, I, I think I personally feel like our our version of basketball is the most entertaining form out there in terms of length and in passion and intensity. So, I would I would roll with our format uh, and just make it look different. And I think I mean I think the biggest the biggest question, and this is. It seems like from our from our conversation, it seems like it started with the money, but it's it's almost you know the money is, is still there obviously, but it seems like the like the thing now matters because it matters. Yeah, it's it, it's a family. It's like we see the, the players who play in this and come out and do this. Like we we love them. Like they and they love TBT, and that's really what drives all of us. Like. It, Kyle Lowry exposed himself as a TBT player in the in the All Star game. Uh, Chris Paul exposed himself like over and over again in TBT. We see players just expose themselves as TBT players, and we know that we're aligned with them in our Marcus vision. Marcus Smart so, straight yeah. would, would be another guy that would come to mind. Yep, we we just get along with them. They get us, we get them. They see us, and we see them. And that's really how this has evolved. For sure. So I mean, it, so. To the question of though, like, you know, uh, you mentioned earlier about how kind of the the kind of the dollar figures have have moved a lot of the focus, you know, sort of the transaction game and, and contracts and stuff like that. Um, like, how do how do you break through that? To because I think that the, the thing we've seen in both the, the you know the 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 All Star game with the Elam ending, the play in tournament in the NBA, and obviously. You know TBT throughout its history is uh, single elimination basketball between professional players is good if you get them to care. And so, what what do you think is the quickest way to get you know established NBA players to care enough? There's there's no easy answer to that yeah. at all. No, I think that's the that's the <laughs> like that's the sticking point is like that's sort of the magic asterisk. You get them to care. Dot dot dot. Basketball yeah. is good. So I think that the, the, what they're backing into now is, you know, in, in a, how can they add stakes to their, their product, or do they want to add stakes to it, or is the regu- long regular season and seven-game series enough for them? You know, that, that's probably enough for a lot of the NBA, but if they wanted to inject stakes in it, they would create their own format in the middle of the tournament, give players enough of a financial incentive to, to play hard during that format, and then give that format uh, a different level or style or mo- model. So I think that that is, the, that is probably what they're thinking with the midseason tournament. So kind of as we, as, and, and you know, thank you again for being so, you know, so generous and patient with your time, but as we kind of get close to wrapping here, like what are, if you had to say, what are your favorite moments over the course of, of kind of the life of the TBT? Like just individual moments or is there like a, 
a type of thing that happens that is really like, yeah, that's that's it right there. There, there are like flashes in my head, memories in my head, like like Marshall Henderson running at eight thirty in the morning in two thousand fourteen <laughs> after spending three years toiling away uh, at this concept, you know, on a keyboard. Um, go, showing up in Wichita State a couple of years ago with seventy five hundred people there for the first game was just surreal. Uh, the first time the Syracuse alumni team played and orange shirts start pouring through the door, fifteen minutes of game time. Um, and then, like, overseas elites run, getting to know those players. And just, like, what people don't realize is these players who play in TBT, they're playing overseas. They're 25 to 28 years old. They're practicing twice a day. They're living in a country where they don't speak the native language. Like, they're very comfortable with themselves. They're very mature. And they work really hard. And they love basketball. Like, that's a demographic. Anytime that reveals itself, like, that, that fires all of us up to do our job, and that's a demographic we all want to fight for and give exposure to. Um, so the, it's really those moments of, of those people and developing relationships with those people uh, over time that, that stick in our head. So for me, one of the, one of the, the, the things that, that um, and this is maybe a function of the Elam ending or, or just the, the style of play, is the um, you get this, you know, I don't know if it's every three games, every four games, where someone just is... is going and they just like all right let them cook um it, that seems to me to be the, the thing that that uh that is is one of the like that that harkens back to like you know some of my favorite eras of like college basketball when before it got all before it was you know overwhelmed by physicality and like complicated defense and realizing that most of the guys on the floor aren't skilled enough to beat like a complicated defense but just like you know, thinking back to, you know, players like Catino Mobley or something like that in college who would just, like, get on these rolls and no one could stop him and he would just be scoring over and over again, it seemed like. Is that, am I, like, am I overestimating the frequency that that happens or is that, that I, seems like a big part of the, of, 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 like, to me, the appeal. Yeah, I think our, I think our format is very uh, revealing of those types of players. And I think the elementing itself and the fact that you can't play not to lose. You have to play to win, and you have to play with your best players and best possession uh, on the floor at the end of the game. And players want to step up, or they don't want to step up, and that's very revealing and fun for me to see as a fan. Um, you know who who are those clutch players, and you can you can see them wanting the ball in the moment. Uh, and I think our format's really good for that. Uh, off the top of your head, who is the all-time leader in uh, in, in game winners? Jamil Wilson, Jamil was up there. Uh, I don't know what our updated, um, what our updated count is, but I think check that one. <laughs> um, let me see. Uh, I mean, I think you've you've kind of answered all the all the all the questions I had. I just I think it's it's um, it's it's super interesting to me. Just again, like you get you you go through the the NBA playoffs, and we're so used to just sort of one format of basketball and seeing just another way of 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 of, of basketball being played at a high level is, is is tremendously interesting and and reminds us that you know it doesn't everything doesn't have to be the way it's always been. Yeah, and it's a, it started as a conversation among his friends, Dan and I, and that text thread's still going. You know, nine years later, <laughs> we're still texting about it, and we're, but we're playing it out for real. Yeah. And it started as an idea, but now we have an actual product to tinker with. 
uh, and make changes with. And, you know, I think that's something you can relate to, Seth. And, you know, anytime you go back and forth with people, you know, how would you create your own property from scratch or your own league? You know, would you start with a really high-stakes tournament format? Would you start with a regular season? What cities would you go to? We get to play this out in real time, and it's, it's the absolute, you know, dream job for me. Last question related to that. Is there, like, is there a temptation to sort of, well, this is good, so more of it would be better? Um, and I don't know whether that means, like, a second tournament a year or some kind of, like, a season or, or I, I, you know, or another div- other divisions or something like that. I don't know what, what, even what those would be. But is that, is that the kind of thing you have to sort of almost fight against to, uh, to, keep, it, to keep it as, like, true to the, the underlying vision as possible? Can you hear me? Yeah. Sorry, did I break up for a second there? Uh, I just dropped out. Uh, yeah, I, I think I get the question though. Um, yeah, I, we've been so refined on the product, or, or we've been so um, attuned to refining the product that that has been the focus and making the best product possible. And we feel like we're in a really good spot with it. We're getting really close to where we want to be. From that point, we really do want to add dates to the calendar. You know, whether that means different events, more events. Um, a longer format or whatever, uh, we feel really good about where we're going, and I think that it's fair to say that we want to keep growing uh, once we feel it's appropriate. But at the same time, there is there there does have to there is a little bit of tension between that and like it's this is a one time a year thing. Yeah, there is, and we this this event specifically is unique because it is really it in the sport of five-on-five basketball for three weeks. So if we did do something like this or uh, something else entirely at a different time of year, there would have to be something else. We we would not neglect the fact that this is unique for that reason. So those are all things that we do think about. Um, And we definitely don't want to dilute the product, and we don't want to make it lower stakes. So we're we're always going to be true to this idea of high stakes open to all no matter what we do. So, I mean, without, you know, Tying you down to anything. If if you got if if there was another competition formed, it would it would not be, um, you know, op- it would not be open to all elim ending single elim. All all the money goes to one place. There would be there would be something substantially different that it was like of a similar ethic, but recognizably yeah. different. Yeah, I, I honestly can't answer that because I don't I I don't know <laughs> yet. <laughs> I, I, I really don't enough. know. We don't we don't have. Uh, you know, we, we've we've thought a lot about it, and we're we're very measured with what we do, um, and so we have considered a lot of these types of things, but we haven't gone far enough to be able to answer that yet. Uh, uh, last question: Who's winning the tournament this year? Come on! <laughs> yeah, it's just so I'm unfair. kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, we I'm we really... do have after today. We'll have ten teams left. I, I always I always side with people who have won it before because they're the only ones who know how to win, and so I think our only previous champion at this point is the uh, Golden Eagles alumni. Well, as, you know, as a, uh, as someone who is on the Marquette side of the uh, Badgers-Eagles divide here in Wisconsin, I, uh, I support that. Um, <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I just wanted to thank you again for your time, for, for uh, making yourself available and for uh, working through the, the tech difficulties we had earlier. Is there uh, Anything else that uh, that you know you feel like we like uh, people should know about about the tournament, or you feel like uh, 
just want to reemphasize before I let you go? No, we went deep. I would say August 2nd, 8 p.m. if you're a first-timer. Uh, that's, that's a good way to get an, an initiation into TBT on ESPN, uh, our championship million-dollar winner-take-all game. Well, uh, John, thank you so much for, for taking the time and, and really appreciate it. And, uh, uh, folks, I will be back later this week uh, with another John, uh, John Krasinski of The Athletic, to talk uh, Timberwolves. Uh, now that we've, I've spent an hour bashing the transaction game, uh, we're going to talk about the Timberwolves making a big trade this summer. Um, so uh, my hypocrisy knows no bounds. But uh, take care, everyone, and talk to you all then. Thanks a lot for listening.